Today's scripture reading is going to come from the book of Romans, so I invite you to turn over there with me. We're going to be in the sixth chapter of Romans. We're going to read together the first 14 verses. The Apostle Paul is the one writing to the church in Rome, preparing himself, uh, hopefully, for a trip to Spain to spread the gospel into places he had not yet been, which includes Rome. He had never been to this city before, but he knew the Christians there were standing strong, and he needed their support. And so he writes to them in advance of his trip to Rome, and he says this, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have and live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him for we know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is our ministry for kiddos who are four years old through second grade. And they're off. And we've been hanging out in here too long. We're ready to go. <laughs> So we are uh, working through a Bible reading plan together. If you want to participate, we've got some in the back on the tables. Grab one on your way out. Uh, you may have noticed that this week we read through chapter 8. Chapter 8 is often known as not only the greatest chapter in Romans, but some might say the greatest chapter in the entirety of the Bible. And why would I not preach from Romans? Well, for two reasons. One, I already preached a whole series through Romans 8. You can go to our website, fbckennedy.org sermons, and you can listen to those if you would like to. But the second reason is, is because I want to follow up on last week's message, which was a, a, a hard message, to be honest with you, because I, I wanted to show you what Paul was doing. Paul was trying to lay before a church he had never been what he believed. And it had to start with this reality that there is such a thing as sin, and we can't downplay that. We, if, if we downplay what sin is, then, then in a way we are, we are denigrating what Christ did on the cross. If sin's not really that big of a deal, then what Jesus did was not really that big of a deal. And so he had to show them that, no, there is sin. But the way to conquer sin isn't through you trying harder which is pretty much the world's religious systems. All the other religious systems of the world basically tells you that. 
there is a problem. The problem is you, and you are also the solution. You need to work harder. You need to try harder. That's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is not about what you need to do, as is often said. It's about what Christ has already done. And so we embrace that message of what Jesus has done for us. And Paul begins to address in the church maybe some people's uh, objections to what he's saying. So you're telling me, Paul, that we're saved by grace from our sin. So when we sin, we have God's grace. So if we sin more, is it possible then we would get more of God's grace? And Paul answers that objection that he anticipates from some by writing in Romans 6, no way. In fact, it is, it is one of the most um, strongest no's that you can write down in the Greek language that we capture in the phrase, by no means. And so I want to follow that up with, okay, so there is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing as grace. But that also means grace should motivate us to sin no more. Well, how in the world do we do that? So that's where we're going. With the little bit of time we have left, I'm going to try to squeeze as much in as I can. And, uh, but we are going to get out late. Just know that from the start. The camp report was worth it. So when you're, when you're fidgeting a little after 12, just remember all those wonderful faces sharing all those wonderful stories and the beautiful video. It's totally going to be worth it. But let's pray together. Let's pause and pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. We, we just trust and believe and see evidence that this is your hand behind Scripture. It is your Holy Spirit inspiring people to put down what you wanted us to have. And God, that is an amazing and incredible thing. And so we don't take that lightly. And we want to take what you have to say in your word. And we want to embody it. We want to live it out in our lives. We want to do exactly as, as your servant James said. We, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And so, Father, I pray now that you would help our minds to focus in on you and you alone. That you'd help our hearts be soft to the message you want to speak to us through your word. And God, once we receive it, we would not be content, but we would want to go. So ready our hands and feet to go and live out what you show us today. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, and for some of you it won't be very hard, what was your worst job? Okay, just get that in your mind. Your worst job you've ever had, all right? Uh, and uh, if you've got that in your mind, raise your hand. You got your worst job in mind? You got it? Okay. Some of you wake up this side over here. Y'all got to wake up over here. Okay. All right. The worst job you ever had. Okay. Keep that in your mind for a moment. Okay. My worst job pretty easily was working at the chicken shack. I was doing some event and I was, I was like a, I was a waiter for some event that I, that I think my mom got me hooked up with. And so it was a one-time deal and I was waiting on this table and the guy I was waiting on and his wife thought I did a really good job. And so they owned the chicken shack and they said, you know, if you're looking for a summer job, this was in high school, if you're looking for a summer job, come see us. You know, we, we, they even alluded to the fact, you know, that maybe I, maybe I could be management material. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, but but you make a little bit more that way. So, so I show up, I get, I get an interview, I get a job over the summer, and I'm working there. I realize pretty quickly, okay, I'm not waiting on people at the chicken shack, okay? There is no waiting on anybody at the chicken shack. Uh, I'm not even at the cash register at the chicken shack, you know, taking their order and their money and all that stuff. 
I am in the back frying things. I still have a scar to prove it right here. I, I was in the back frying things. And I realized pretty quickly, I'm not good at this. This is not for me. You know, it's fast food. I put the slow in fast food. I could not cook fast enough. And one time, the boss came by, the guy who I waited on, the guy who gave me the job, he came by, and he's observing me, right, in uh, action, in which probably looked more like slow motion, but he was observing me trying to cook this chicken, and, and he was just so frustrated, and everybody's frustrated with me. I'm like, this is, this is the, I do get free chicken, though. I will say that. I probably gained five or ten pounds over the summer. I got free sweet tea and chicken. I get home, it's like, why can't I go to sleep? I don't understand. Why can't I go to sleep? I don't drink a, a gallon of sweet tea. I don't know what's, what's the problem. I don't understand. So I, I just, that always sticks out. That's got to be one of the worst jobs I've ever had. I didn't have a great boss. The pay was not very good. And the work was not very fun, right? So you probably have a job like that. You probably got that in mind, right? A job in which you probably didn't like the work itself, you probably didn't like your boss, and you probably didn't like the pay. Th those are like the three main ingredients for a terrible job, okay? I just want you to imagine for a moment, you get to leave that job, and you get offered a new job where the boss is amazing, where the work is meaningful, and the pay is incredible. Just Picture that in your mind. Maybe that's happened to some of you. Praise God. Isn't that an awesome thing? Like you really appreciate this job based on what you once had to go through, right? And so you're in this perfect job, but the old boss calls up. And the old boss says, you know, Matt, uh, the kitchen's just not the same without you. We're getting orders out on time. I don't know what's happening. Uh, we need you to come back and slow things down. Uh, I promise the pay will be worse. You know, I'll yell at you more. If you would just come back, you know. Imagine that old boss calls you and wants you to come back and work for them. Imagine that they promise you things like, no, 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 seriously, it'll be better. It'll be better, I promise, it'll be better. What would your response be? Answer out loud. What would your response be? No, by no means, right? And what Paul is saying is that's how we need to treat sin. Sin was a terrible master, a terrible boss to us, asking us to do terrible things. And the reward for those things was terrible. But that's not how often we approach sin, is it? We believe the lie that is going to be different this time. It's going to be different this time. But sin, used by Satan, likes to deceive and likes to lie to us and tell us that it's going to be different. Likes to make promises to us that it never intends to deliver. But we believe it. We believe that this sin is, it's got something that I want, it's got something that I need. You heard an illustration earlier from the camp pastor about poison. I didn't know two of them were going to mention it when I wrote this illustration, but that's okay. But just imagine if you're thirsty and the only thing you have to drink is poison. It's going to quench your thirst, but it's going to take your life. That's what sin is. It's going to itch something. It's going to satisfy something. It's going to give you something you think you want. But what are the results? The results, Scripture says, 
is death. The wages of sin at the end of Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So I want us to think about this for a minute because here's, here's what I believe. I believe if you're a Christian, the truth is if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, which is if you keep reading in Romans, that's what Romans is going to tell you in Romans 8. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're a Christian. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. It's a package deal. And if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, what the Holy Spirit is going to do is going to convict you of sin. It's not going to always keep you from being tempted by sin. But when you engage in sin, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of sin. You're going to feel that pinch. And over time, the Holy Spirit is going to develop, with, develop within you a greater and greater desire for holiness. A greater longing to work for that great boss that is Jesus. A greater distaste for that old boss that was sin. A greater want, uh, you, your want to, to live as a servant to righteousness, as Paul said, talks about in Romans 6, is going to overshadow your desire to live for wickedness, as Paul compares it. But we have to, you know, I, I want to be honest with you. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to battle with sin and win. Sometimes we find ourselves failing at that quite a lot. And it can be discouraging, can't it? We can, we can kind of feel let down that here I thought I, I was a Christian. I'm growing. I'm maturing. I thought I would get over these struggles or these challenges. I, I, I thought I would no longer have this temptation to sin like I do. I think that's something all of us go through there's a couple things in here in romans 6 that i think help us to consider how we might have more victory than defeat i, I want to phrase it that way because in reality until we see jesus face to face sin will be a struggle i do not believe that you and I are going to reach moral perfection in this world. Okay? But how can we experience more victory in our lives than defeat? I think that is something that is worthwhile. I think that's something you can shoot for. And with the Lord's help, we can see more victory than defeat. So how do we do that? I think it begins by seeing what we've already talked about here. And I'm going to move through this quickly, but... It begins by seeing what we've seen here is that we have to take on the mindset that sin is not an option for us. See, sometimes we feel we, we deaden the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we let sin in and we think it's no big deal. And we think it, there's small sins, just like there's there's white lies, right? There's little things. There's no big deals. And we downplay sin. And if we downplay sin, what we know about sin and what we know about the enemy is he's always wanting to take new ground in our hearts. And so if we give him an inch, he will seek to take a mile. So we have to say, no, 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 I have died to sin. Sin is dead to me. No more. That's not how I live anymore. To adopt that mindset that sin's no longer an option for me. That's that old boss. I don't want to go back there. Instead of playing with sin, we put it in the grave. That's the illustration from Scripture is that Jesus died for sin. He lives for God. That's what we should do. Die to sin. Live for God. That's the example in baptism. They stand there, dead in their sins. They go under the water, dying to their sins. They raise up out of the water, new life in Christ. That's how we are to live. 
We're to live out that baptism that we underwent. So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing, and the last thing, I heard this a long time ago. I think it's very true. And then when I read this in, when I was reading over Romans 6, I thought, there it is right there in the Bible. Is that we can get really fixated on not sinning, on the things we shouldn't do. And I don't think that's exactly how you have more victory than defeat. I think you do have to settle in your heart, sin is dead to me, I don't want to engage in it anymore. But secondly, I think we also have to say, you know what? I can't just focus on the do's or, or the don'ts. I've also got to do the do's. I don't want to just avoid the don'ts. I want to do the do's. And where do we get that from? Romans 6, it shows us. He says, verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin is the instrument for wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument for righteousness. And that word instrument there is often used as, uh, as, el as elements of war. It's like swords and spears and things of that nature. That's what that word instrument is often used for. That we can use our bodies to fight on behalf of sin. Or we can use our bodies to fight on behalf of righteousness. So my encouragement to you is not only don't do the don'ts. Of course, we need to don't do the don'ts. But we also need to do the do's. What are the things God has clearly called you to do? Because if you, if you fill your life, and this is one of the things that, that students learn at camp, right? Is they're at camp all week. There's less distractions. They're focused on God much of the day. They're in and out of Bible study and worship services and singing. And then it's like all of a sudden God shows up in their life. And we talked about this, didn't we? That should be no surprise. You're giving him your attention. You're doing the dues. It's no different for us who don't go to camp anymore. Which, I mean, all of you are invited next year, but, you know, maybe you're not going to make it. It doesn't mean that you can't experience the presence of God in your life. Invite him into the dues. So what are those ways in which you're struggling with sin, and what would it look like for them to then be transformed into righteousness? Just, just a few thoughts. Like, like if money for me is an idol and I worship it, and I use it for myself, and I sin with it, what does it look like to... Give my money away. Not, maybe all of it. I don't know. That's between you and God. But what does it look like to be generous with my money for other good things? For other people to bless others. Right? Or maybe it's stuff. Maybe I've got a lot of wonderful stuff and I worship those, that stuff. And that's my mind's attention. I'm always thinking about stuff. And, and it's all about getting more stuff. And the new stuff is better than the old stuff. So I'm always trying to get the new stuff. And the shinier stuff is better than less shiny. You get the point. What, is it, what does it look like to give that stuff away or to use that stuff for the glory of God? Right? Or maybe for you it's all about, you know, uh, other people being impressed by you, be, being popular, being well thought of, and you just bask in that. What does it look like to, to use your status, if you have some, to reach down and help those who do not? You see what I'm saying? That you can have instruments of wickedness. There are parts of your life that you can use in battle for sin. What would it look like to totally reverse course and say, I'm going the other way with this? 
Whatever my struggle was, now I'm going to point that attention to God. I'm going to turn it over to him. I'm going to let him use what I once used for wickedness. Now I'm going to let him use that in my life for righteousness. Now I'm doing the dues. And I think that's, honestly, I think that's probably the best strategy is fill your life up with the dues that God has called you to do. And when you do that, you won't have time for the don'ts. I think that is a pathway to have more victory than defeat when it comes to sin. But it starts with that decision. Sin is dead to me. I am alive in Christ. I have died to sin, and now I live my life in Christ. That's a very easy thing to say. But from experience, I know that's not an easy thing to do come Monday morning. Or even Sunday night. Or even Sunday at 12.10 p.m. Right? And don't you know God stands next to you to help you? God is in the fight with you. He never leaves your side. He wants to help you have victory over sin. And my encouragement as we close the service today is that you'd ask him to do that. There may be some things you've been struggling with when it comes to sin, and man, it's got a grip on you, and you don't know what to do, but for some reason, it hasn't occurred to you to stop and pray and just beg God to help you. Would you do that today? Or for, for some of you said, I've been confessing my sin to God over and over and over again, and I still don't have victory. Have you confessed that sin to someone else? You know, the Bible commands us to do We want to have victory over sin. We actually read it in Psalms this past week. Uh, I didn't write it down. Well, it's in Psalms. Go back and read it. Uh, but it tells us that. And then we know it in James as well. There, uh, James 5.17 or 5.19. Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Right? So you may be confessing that sin to God, but you haven't confessed it to anyone else. Someone with flesh and blood. Someone who's going to stand beside you and, and stand in that gap and pray for you and check on you. And God gave you a church family for that very purpose. He gave you Christian friends for that very purpose. Have you made use of that? And that's very hard to do. I know. It's, it's a lot easier to tell God about our sin. It's a lot harder to tell someone else. But you can do it if you really want victory and, and more victory than defeat when it comes to that particular sin in your life. I can almost guarantee you, you're going to need some outside help. And God has given you that outside help if you will make use of it. Or finally, for some of us here this morning, we, we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The, the God is showing you you're, the entirety of your life has been lived for sin. It's been lived for you. You do not have the Holy Spirit in your heart convicting you of sin and helping you to have victory. You are far from God. If I can encourage you to go back, read this whole epistle, which means it's a letter of, of the Romans. See what, see what Paul says. That you may be approaching God saying, God, I'm going to try to clean up my life. I'm going to try to get things right. I'm going to try to start following these commands. I'm going to try to start going to church and giving and serving and, and studying. My, I'm, going to try to, I'm going to try to do all that stuff. And let me tell you, all good stuff, none of it saves you. None of it. Paul says there is a righteousness apart from the law that comes by faith. How will you enter into this relationship with God that sin has wrecked in your life? 
is not going to come through your effort. It's not going to come from your ability to follow the law because the Bible tells us you cannot follow the law. It comes from embracing that Jesus could and did follow God's word perfectly. And he gladly gives you his perfect record of righteousness. And he gladly takes every sin of yours and mine to the cross. It is paid for. It is done. He said so. It is finished. And all you need to do is believe that. Confess that sin to the Lord. Believe in Jesus you are forgiven. And give your life to him. That's all you need to do. Will you do it? Because here's something I, I noticed in, in, in Romans 6. And I'll close with this. Paul points this out. Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? I bet some of you walked in this morning feeling that shame. My greatest hope is that you walk out of here feeling relieved of that shame. Knowing that every sin you have ever sinned, that's known to everyone or known to no one, is all covered by the blood of Jesus. Every single one of them. Not some of them. All of them. My prayer is you be so ready to walk away from that old boss doing, doing that terrible work for that terrible pay. That you'd be so ready to walk away from that and you would see the joy in God's eyes as you walk into the arms of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, God, we, we find conviction and comfort in it. And I pray that you would be working in us now, doing both, both convicting us of sin and also comforting us because we know in Jesus we have a righteousness that is not our own, but we have been made right in your eyes because of what he has done. God, I pray that you loosen the grip of sin on our lives, help us to turn our attention to living every aspect of our life for your glory and not for ourselves. And God, may hope reign over us. Sin does not get the last word. As your word says that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand with me now as we have a time of invitation. If you need prayer, hey, I'd love to pray for you. Come on down. Let me pray for you down at the front. Pray where you're at. Pray with someone near you, whatever you need to do. Uh, don't leave without responding to the Lord this morning. Let's go to him in prayer and worship as we close our time together.